What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 53 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we are all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today we are going to have a blast. You're going to get to meet a very good friend of mine named Kevin Scott. Kevin is one of the most unique leaders that I've ever met, and he's one of those leaders that when you sit down with him, you always leave with a wealth of information. The guy not only gets leadership, but I watch Kevin execute leadership on a daily basis, and it is a joy to watch. Kevin's traveled to six continents, spoken to leaders from more than 100 countries, co-founded his company Addo in 2011 with a goal to inspire people today to impact tomorrow. Kevin is seen frequently on Fox News, CNN, among many other written publications that want his thoughts on leadership, his thoughts on politics, his thoughts on the next generation. He is a pioneer in leadership. Kevin was included on the 40 under 40 list for Georgia Trend Magazine, the Atlanta Business Chronicle. He's also also authored three books, his latest being The Lens of Leadership. Kevin is one of my favorite people on the planet, and you're going to hear today as we sit down together, you're going to hear a lot of that friendship that, that comes. We're in a leadership group together. But man, Kevin's one of those guys, when you sit down with him, it, it truly is like opening up a warehouse of ideas and thoughts. I remember his dream of writing a character education curriculum that could be used in schools, go from being a dream now to being called the Chick-fil-A Leadership Academy. Chick-fil-A adopted it, and they're in schools all over the country. They have now written the Atlanta Braves Leadership um, group for high school students here in Atlanta. The guy is a pioneer. He's an entrepreneur. He's a husband. He is a father, and he is a great friend. So I can't wait for you to pull up a chair and listen in to my time with Kevin Scott. Well, Kevin, it is an honor to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining me. Hey, so excited to be here. It's well, this this is the third one. So I was just telling you, this is like a big deal. We're <laughs> sitting in a an ugly studio, but we're in a studio doing this live. So this is fun. So right here in person. Live. Right here in person. And we're going to go out and probably eat Henry's for lunch. Let's perfect. celebrate with some great. Cajun foods. It'll be, it'll be awesome. Tell me a little bit. Walk me back. You grew up right here in the area. Walk me back to growing up. When you were growing up, what did Kevin think Kevin was going to do when you hit the open seas of life? Yeah, I went uh, to Lewis Elementary and my kindergarten teacher, Miss Allison, told my parents that I'd either be a lawyer, a preacher, or a politician. <laughs> so, and I don't know what that says about your profession when you uh, tie it in great. with. <laughs> Not good. I, I think what she really was just saying is that I like to talk. So, um, but you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, um, my parents, uh, my dad was a firefighter, and uh, loved that there was a public service element. But I, I think I just didn't want to have a boss. That was really my number one goal growing up. And uh, so far, I've pulled that one off pretty well. When do you think you began to grow in that giftedness and leadership? We both love leadership. It, looking back to Kevin at Kennesaw Mountain, Kevin going away to University of Georgia, when did that leadership gift really begin to grow? Yeah, when you talk about just pure leadership, which is you know, how do you influence people, I, the one the memory that stands out in my mind is the starkest. This is going to sound like the stupidest example of all time. We were seniors in high school, Kennesaw Mountain High School. We have a contest between classes 
for the homecoming parade. Seniors have our parade, juniors have a parade, sophomores have their float, freshmen have their float. Our float was beautiful. We had this, we had created this amazing float. And we had some girls on our team that decided that when we began to move, that the pieces of the float were going to come off. So they wrapped the float in saran wrap. And they took our once beautiful float and they made it look, made it look terrible. And I will never forget, we as the guys did not have the courage to stand up to the girls and tell them that their float looked bad. So we hatched a plan to figure out how do we get rid of the saran wrap and not be held responsible. It's a brilliant plan, Mike. <laughs> the night before the parade, a couple of our buddies, we went and we took spray paint. And we spray painted, I hope I can say this on a spiritual leadership podcast. We spray painted seniors suck, juniors rule. It was so we sabotaged our own float, but we pinned it on the I other I love class. it. I love it. Okay. Fast forward the next day, they had to take the saran wrap off our float one because it looked a whole lot better. But because of what we did, the juniors, their float got kicked out of the parade. <laughs> it's a true story. This is true. And I will never forget. I I did not have the moral character at the time to stand up and admit this, but one of our friends did, and he went and told about us. And I'll never forget sitting in Billy Richardson's office, and he looked at me, and he said, I'll never forget it. I mean, this is a long time ago now. And he said, Kevin, it is obvious that you're a leader. Your question in life is, are you going to use your skills for good or for bad? And he said, because you can use your influence for one or the other, and that choice will be yours. And I will, it was in a moment of getting in trouble that he spoke truth and life into me that said, you know, you have a lot of potential and you can use it for good or bad. And I, I remember that to this day. What did that do for you? What did that do inside you? When yeah. you heard that statement from Billy, it it changed the way that I saw myself. That's so good because I saw my, <laughs> Mike. The last thing I thought of myself then as a leader, I thought of myself as a troublemaker, a creative, conniving. <laughs> I mean, it's really smart troublemaker. But it was not like, man, I'm a leader. I'm fighting the good fight, and so I, it, I think it it was a it challenged me in a couple areas. One, it reminded me, or it, I think it showed me for the first time that you have such power with your words, especially when you talk to young people. And sometimes, even in moments of correction, when you're telling them and speaking life into them, you never know mm. the impact that's going to have down the road. Does he know that story? He, have y'all talked about that? It, so I included it in my my latest book. Yep. I told that story. Uh, and he remembers it. He also remembers a lot of other stories where... Uh, I don't think he used as kind of words, <laughs> and my actions maybe were not as easy to justify in those situations. That so. is. So Kevin graduates Kennesaw Mountain, goes to the vast city of Athens, to the University of Georgia, where there's 30,000 students, yeah. but yet at Georgia, you made a mark. Yeah. How did How did that spray paint the saran wrap Kevin yeah. grow into while at Georgia, Kevin that really gets involved in some nonprofit work. And, and a lot of what you do today, I think traces back to then. Talk to me a little bit about the, the college, yeah. Kevin. Yeah. Let me first share why I went to the University of Georgia. So a lot of people don't realize this. I started at Kennesaw State University. I did not know that. Went there for two years. Loved my, my professors there. Loved the teachers. I transferred to the University of Georgia because they had a major at the time that Kennesaw State didn't have, Georgia Tech didn't have, Georgia State didn't have. It's called speech communication. Mm -hmm. At a more liberal arts school, it's literally the study of rhetoric. Yep. And it was fascinating to me. I, I had read Harvard Business Review said the number one thing, the number one qualification for advancement of professionals is effective communication. Yep. Former President Gerald Ford said if he would have gone back to college, he would have studied two things how to write and how to speak before an audience. Mm. It, you know, when I think of, I just think public speaking, the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Yep. And so every time that a pastor stands up to preach, a coach stands with a team around him, a teacher stands in front of a classroom, a business leader stands in front of their group. Every time our words have such power. And I knew I wasn't that smart, but it, I wanted to study if our words were that important, 
how do I make sure that I'm intentional with them? How do I learn how to use them most effectively? And I, I mean, we studied from people like Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. that I love to uh, Bill Clinton, who maybe I didn't love as much, but it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, the, in, compelling communicators yep. who uh, changed the world with I their I never words. knew that so part of your story. That I was, didn't know that. That was the reason. And as I was there, I realized pretty quickly I wasn't great at the school piece, but I could take what I was learning in the classroom and apply it to the organization we were mm. working with. And mm. it was an organization that uh, was helping kids with HIV and AIDS, but able to use communication in a way that 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 moved people. Like, how do you how do you rally people around a cause or a common goal? And that that became very fascinating to me and has become a really uh, central piece to all of my story. And connect you with Coach Dooley, who's been a huge part of your life yeah. through these years, hadn't yeah. he? I, I could not. Uh, it would be impossible to overstate the impact of a relationship uh, with Coach Dooley and Coach Rick, but Coach Dooley in particular. You know, I grew up, I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. Wow. So, but we grew up, Georgia fans, I, I grew up in in our state, I understood that, you know, for a lot of people, I know this is, we're at a church recording this, but a lot of people believed if you were good when you died, you went to Vince Dooley's house. <laughs> That's exactly that, that right. was, so for me, it was like, this is the legend. By the way, I know you're a tech fan, but we yep. haven't won a national championship since I've been alive. So yep. maybe, true. maybe true. that'll change by the time this podcast comes out. I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, it's it, Coach Dooley. Um, he walks the walk, and I know you've had him on this yep. podcast before, but it's incredible to watch somebody who is his age that continues to learn and leverages his influence for the benefit of others. And it's uh, he's been so important in every business. The last time we were at his house, he said, please tell me you don't have another idea. <laughs> I've been getting too old and too tired for another another big vision. So. I love that. I love that. And I love even while you were at Georgia – you started some study abroad stuff, even while, were you still a student when that started? As soon as I graduated. Okay. So I'd never been out of the country. Uh, like I said, we did vacations in Panama City and Gatlinburg. Uh, but I had a friend that said, we need to change the way the students see the world. And so my first time out of the country, we spent 100 days in Africa. Good. <laughs> yeah, I was starving when I got back. <laughs> Went Kenya to Cape Town overland. And set up a study abroad program. And we came back and we said, we know, we, we had learned this principle, Mike, that I believe works in any business, any church, any organization. It's this principle of engage, expose, equip. Mm. Want to engage people where they are with something that interests them. Expose them to a timeless truth. Expose them to a principle. And then equip them to put it into practice. Mm-hmm. That's what you do on Sunday morning. Yep. You engage them with great teaching and relevant music. Then you expose them to God's word and then you equip them to go apply it to their mm-hmm. lives. We believed we could do that in a study abroad context, but we had to engage them and want yep. them to want to come. And so then we went back to the well and asked coach Dooley if he would come and uh, go on our first trip. And that helped us sign up. Even if the university of Georgia students didn't know what he, who he was at the time, their parents, their did, parents did, and they were willing to, to write a check for their kid to go abroad with Vince Dooley. And I remember you talking about even going on one of the trips, and I remember if, which one it was, but talking about going to Mandela's prison yeah. cell. Yeah. What was the, what was the, the, the first time you went there, this iconic figure of history, you go to his prison cell. And I think y'all talked to the guard. Uh-huh. Is that right? We talked to his cellmate. Oh, my that gosh. Ahmed Kathrata, who had lived with Nelson Mandela uh, had been a cellmate for 27 years. So it was incredibly powerful to hear him really kind of testify to the commitment, the resolve of Nelson Mandela, and to sit there and and just say, like, this guy, he never gave up in, in 27 years. But what was what's so powerful to me about Nelson Mandela, and I know in our American context, we've heard of him and we kind of know and we put him on this pedestal. But when you really look at a guy who was persecuted for 27 years, put in prison for his beliefs, gets released from prison and gets the most powerful office in the land, 
and chooses not revenge but reconciliation, what an incredibly powerful lesson mm. for all mm. of us. It changed it changed that country. Yep. It, it is incredible how one man's decision, his posture towards his persecutors mm -hmm. changed an entire nation. That's incredible. So it's, it's powerful. I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't know where Nelson Mandela was from his faith perspective, but it would be hard to argue that something that was less, uh, there's very few things more Christ-like than that. Yep. To, and, to love your persecutors. And, and that's something you will go back to a thousand times. And you pray, I know all the students who took there, I'm sure it marked all of them in some way. Yeah. You know, nobody left and went, oh, that was cool. Yeah. Well, if you sit on that a little while, that's a that's a game changer. Yeah. You got to. Our goal through those events was to create etched memories mm. in people's minds, to create an experience that years later they would draw back to. Uh, been really fascinated recently by this book, The Power of Moments. Mm. Have you read Chip and Dan Heath? I have not read that. Uh, incredible. They um, just uh, take you on a rabbit trail real quick. They open the book with a family on vacation at Disney World, and every hour on the hour, they rate how they're feeling about Disney on a scale of zero to 10. So the morning you're in the tram line, the kids are yeah. tired, they're screaming, it's like a four. And then, you know, this experience is great. It's 99 degrees. You're waiting in line for two hours. It's a small world, like a three. Yeah. It's not. I mean, they average out this day. I encourage people to read it. The average of the day ends up being like a 6.5. But when people go back and remember it, they remember it as like a nine point something. And the funny? reason why is because they have this theory. They call it the peak end theory that people take the peak moment and the last moment. And they, they marry those two, and that's how they look back on an experience. And so this is just a great principle. This is a great principle really if you're good. leading a team, if you're leading a church, if you're a business person. How do you create experiences? You're not going to make every experience, every single moment, a peak moment. Mm -hmm. But if you can create that moment and the ending experience, people will look back with fond memories. And those memories and those etched memories will shape the decisions they make both about your organization and their lives forever. And so that Nelson Mandela moment so created, good. I'm not telling you, if you would have seen our accommodations, you would not have thought we created yeah. a great experience, but created a memory yep. that they will remember for the rest of their life. That is so good. And we'll link to that book in the show notes mm -hmm. because that'll be, that's definitely one I'll go pick up because I've not, I've not read that, but moments are what life's made of. And sometimes we wish, you know, we've talked about this a lot. you got a little one at home. We can wish our way through seasons yeah. and miss those moments and miss those, miss some of those peaks because we're busy and, and all so, those kind of things. So Kevin, Kevin graduates Georgia and he has a life goal of never working for somebody else. And you, you, in this process, you and a good friend create a company in a group called Addo. Talk everybody a little bit through what Addo means and sort of the mission, vision, and of where you guys are and what y'all do. Yeah. Well, so Addo is the Latin word for inspire, and our goal is to inspire people today to impact tomorrow. And I'll tell you, for a number of years, we were, I think we were a little insecure about our mission. We had brought some people on that were really smart and going to help us be real business people, and and really, <laughs> and. In, in subtle ways would kind of say, well, you know, that's not really business. You can't, business is not about inspiration. And it's been interesting as we have kind of wondered and even maybe tried to shift our messaging seven, eight years in now, almost eight years in, we've come back to this fact of we actually believe that inspiration matters. Mm. You, you, hear, you hear people talk about ROI a lot. Oh, what's the ROI on that? Well, I, I believe there is an ROI. There is a return on inspiration. Mm. That the most inspired organizations are more profitable. I think their employees are more engaged. Their customers are more loyal. And so if we can create uh, inspired organizations, schools, if schools are more inspired, academic performance increases, culture is better, teams are more effective. Yep. Uh, so 
That's we we have um, we become emboldened over the last couple of years with this uh, idea that inspiration matters, and if we can bring inspired leadership to organizations. It has a positive impact on their organization and the communities they serve. You know, Simon Sinek has that comment, if you're not remarkable, you're invisible. Is that what makes y'all remarkable? Is that that caveat of, because lots of groups come alongside companies and help them, but y'all are a little different. That inspiration piece, do you think that's what is the separator for you guys? Yeah, I think there's two things. I think, well, I'll give you three. One, the inspiration is important, but two other things are really key. Number one we are communicating timeless truths in a relevant way. And that does not sound groundbreaking, but Mike, when you look out there, the people who are really best at communicating the values that, that I believe in and hold dear, I believe they're biblical values, a lot of them in the leadership space, they're just older now. Mm-hmm. Been doing it a long time, they're older. And, and they have this embodiment of older generations Older generations wanted a sage on stage. They wanted the smart person who's going to tell them, here's what you do and here's why I'm so great. And the next generation, they don't want that. They want to know, they want you to be authentic. They want you to be vulnerable. They want you to tell them how you've screwed up too. But the people who are most relevant these days seem to have felt like you've got to compromise your values to be relevant. And we have put a flag in the ground. We want to do timeless truths in a relevant way. Mm-hmm. Coach Julie always taught me, in changing times, hold the unchanging principles. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second piece of that, it's not just timeless truths in a relevant way, but we make the other company the hero of the story. Any client we serve, you know, so many of these people, they've got such an ego that they want to, they want their brand plastered on everything. But when we run the Atlanta Braves Leadership Institute or Chick-fil-A Leader Academy or... It's not Addo something. It's it's their brand. We may have created it. We may execute it. We may do the storytelling, but we want to make their brand the hero. Uh, and I think that is when organizations, especially if you're a consultant or an agency in a service capacity, when you can make your clients the hero of the story, uh, you'll win every day in the marketplace. Does, does, is that hard to do? I mean, it sounds the right thing to do, but does it hurt you getting future business because your name's not out there on stuff? It it could, but if you serve your clients well, I, I think excellence is always in demand. Mm. And if you do it well, you know, most of our business comes because somebody who we've served tells somebody else. And um, you know, I, I think there and, and I also think when you hitch yourself to another company's success, when it's the right companies I, a lot of our success comes because Chick-fil-A was our first client, and our biggest client. Yep. I'm not afraid to tell people that. And I, by the way, I can get an ego and say, oh, let me tell you about Addo. No, but most of your listeners, they never heard of Addo. I bet every single person listening has heard of Chick-fil-A. Yep. And so if I can make them the hero and create Chick-fil-A Leader Academy, we're going to go a whole lot further, a whole lot faster than if we're trying to build our brand. Explain to everybody a little bit about This is brilliant. Because Chick-fil-A is iconic. I mean, they are used to be everybody in the South knew them, and then everybody in the East knew them. But now, pretty much anywhere you go in the United States, where most of our listeners are, everybody runs into a Chick-fil-A, and if they live anywhere else, they want a Chick-fil-A. I mean, that's, yeah, the, that's, that's a fact. When my yeah. sister-in-law comes in from Toronto, it doesn't matter <laughs> what meal it is. They want some chicken in the car when I pick uh-huh. them up, right? That's exactly um, right. And now they're go- And now they're, I know they're going international, and that's mm-hmm. part of their new strategy. What have y'all done with Chick-fil-A? Explain to everybody a little bit about the Leader Academy and the brilliance and the passion from you guys and from them for developing this next generation. Yeah. Let me give you the two pieces of it because there's a missional side of how we want to impact students. And there's a business case for why Chick-fil-A was the right avenue to do it. So one on a missional side, we believe high school students have the power uh, to transform communities. They just need a platform and a push. We are not going to out-curriculum anybody. There's a lot of people who are better at content than we are. We believe that when given the right opportunity, you can, our whole theme of Chick-fil-A Leader Academy is impact through action. Mm-hmm. We want college, we want high school students to put leadership principles into practice, and our content only provides a common language for them to describe what they're already doing. That's one. The opportunity to do that with students, you either have to raise money, so you got to do a nonprofit and we got to raise money to do it, or you've got to sell it to students. 
And neither one of those worked well for us. Yeah. We don't. If you sell it, you're only reaching the top end of the market. Yeah. You're reaching high, very affluent, high socioeconomic. Or if you're raising money, you're probably reaching people at the lower end. Had heard a here's a political statement. I'd heard a, a, a an interview. Bill Clinton interviewed Blake Mikoski, the guy that created Tom Shoes. Mm-hmm. And he was grilling Blake. He said, why don't you start a nonprofit? If you actually care about giving people shoes, you should start a nonprofit. And the guy said this. He said, if I start a nonprofit, as soon as the next controversy starts, the next natural disaster, the money is going to get diverted. But if I can create a business model to serve their needs, I can do it in perpetuity. Mm. I believe the, the best way to make a difference in the world is to start a business. Because we can create a recurring revenue stream. And so not only do we love Chick-fil-A and admire Chick-fil-A, but they've got 145,000 team members. More than 70% of them are under the age of 21. If you can plug Chick-fil-A's into their local high schools, you can communicate their values, you can build the brand, you can impact communities, you can probably, here's a business thing, increase catering sales, and you can create a talent pipeline into your community. We wanted to impact students, impact through action. We wanted to do it through a business. The Chick-fil-A Leader Academy started in 2013 in three schools in Atlanta. This uh, fall, the program will be in a thousand, more than a thousand schools in more than 40 states. That's incredible. Um, and it's because all of these principles, we believe the principle works. There's a recurring revenue. There's a business side of it. And, uh, and Chick-fil-A's brand a lot bigger than ours. Yep. And that helps. And you're okay with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So if a company's sitting there and they're listening online today, what makes them a candidate for what y'all do? So they're sitting there and the guy's driving into work or the lady's driving into work. And she said, wow, I didn't even know that exists. Because most people, if I didn't know you, I would go, oh, yeah, I've heard of Chick-fil-A Leader Academy. I didn't know Addo was behind it, creating yep. the, the the curriculum and and sort of the platform to, to get it out there. What would they do? What would make them a good candidate for you guys? Well, two things. One, you, you got to care about leadership. We create custom corporate leadership programs. But sometimes they're internal and sometimes they're external. And Mike, that confuses some people because they say, well, if it's external, it's really marketing. And if it's internal, it's really culture or HR. So here's what we believe. We believe that culture and marketing are opposite sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. The, 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 and the coin is the story that you're telling as an organization. So culture is the story you're telling internally. It's the story that your employees, your team mm-hmm. members are part of. Marketing is the story that your customers are a part of. And it's all the same story. It just applies to them in different ways. And we can create leadership programs that either help engage employees, develop them, help them uh, see their potential, or we can do it for customers to build the brand in the community, but it's it's got to be both sides. That's so good, and and y'all do it literally from school systems. Yeah. You work tons in school system to businesses like Chick Fil A to organizational sports teams. Yeah. Y'all are sort of all over the map, aren't you? Yeah, because this is the thing. A lot of people say, you know, wouldn't it be better if you just picked a key segment and anchored on it? But I think inspiration is something that every single organization needs. Every organization needs leadership. They all need inspiration. And we have tried to overcomplicate it. Yep. But leaders at elementary schools need to be inspired. Yep. They need to be reminded of what they do. Leaders at middle schools and high schools, professional sports teams need it. Corporations need it. Churches need it. Uh, every single organization needs inspiration. You and I love the old school. We love Zig Ziglar. And he said it about motivation. I think you could say it about inspiration. He said, some people say motivation doesn't last. And he said, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. (laughs) And I I mean, for me, you got to have constant inspiration uh, for organizations to thrive. But it's not soft. Let's go back. There's a... There is a return on it. That's right. And that's where we found when we can quantify. Because what happens is as a CEO, a senior pastor, somebody gets excited and they want inspiration. So they bring us in. Yep. And then there's a finance guy. You probably know our, our lady. She's the CFO. And they sit there with their arms crossed and they think, oh, they have found another way for us to spend money. Mm-hmm. And when you can quantify for them how a more engaged workforce or more loyal customers end up leading to a healthier bottom line, 
it's incredible how uh, how powerful that is. I love that. And you guys, and I was on your website. I I have not heard of Emerge and what you're doing at Auburn. Tell me a little bit about what's happening there in that college atmosphere. Yeah. First of all, it's really tough for me. To I was going to say, man. Yeah. Holy uh, cow. I, I will. I have to say this. I have always, from the time we were doing study abroad, we took a lot of Auburn students on trips. And I um, have been very impressed. I think Auburn produces some of the most consistently high character college mm. graduates out there. They're just, yep. it's a great place. Auburn had a challenge. They had an exclusive, not an inclusive leadership program. Mm. Because, and that's what we want. We want the best leaders. And what happened is they have a whole bunch of freshmen coming on campus. The time we got involved, they had 1,400 students applying for a program that had 400 people. Now, I I want you to hear me. I am not an everybody gets a trophy guy. Right. It's not a, we need to include, but when a freshman is showing up on college campus, it's the first time they're away from home. They're looking. And they're raising their hand and saying, I want to be a leader. Yeah. And we're saying, we don't have an outlet for you. I think that's a shame. And so what we created was a program. Jeff Bocchtworthy kicked it off the first year um, where uh, more than 1,000 students first year awesome. were a part uh, of a leadership program that's, you know, again, timeless truths in a relevant way. We're teaching uh, principles and allowing students to put them into practice. And Auburn's doing some amazing things. They've taken that program now and they're running with it. And um, it's incredible to see them make a a huge difference. So I think every business leader, church leader listening, coach that's listening, you are hands-on that generation, middle school, high school, elementary, middle, high. Um, We know every kid's growing up a little earlier nowadays. That's just the way life works. What are things about the millennial generation? Tim Elmore is sort of the the guru of that, but your hand, but your hands on in it. I mean, y'all are in it every day. What does every leader need to know about that generation coming behind us? What are some tips that you go, man? If they knew this, this would really help them. Yeah, you're right. Tim Elmore is the best. The, yep. the research uh, that Tim and growing leaders are doing is, I think, it's the best out there right now. What happens is we've got to then take that research and do something with it. And that's the challenge. How do we make it real for this group? A couple things we need to know about this generation. Number one, a previous generation, when looking for an employer, they looked for product and profit. I want a good product. I want something that works, and I want an organization that's profitable. This group wants purpose and growth. They want to be a part of an organization that has purpose. They want a growing organization, so they, and they want somebody who's going to invest, going to invest in their growth. So that that's key. That's what they want. That's good. Now, as a customer, millennials choose companies to do business with the way that previous generations chose charities. Okay, so millennials choose companies to do business with the way that previous generations chose charities. Meaning, an older generation said, "I'm going to give to a cause that shows what I care about. And I'll just mm-hmm. buy the product that I like." Now, when I put, when you put on a shirt and you've got a logo on it, you want that logo to say something about who you are and what you believe. Mm. The food that you buy, the restaurant you go to, like it's, it is important because it communicates your values. And so now more than ever, organizations need to stand for something and they need to communicate who they are, what they believe. I love this. This was a couple of years ago. You know, there's been a trend on, um, around Black Friday of more and more retailers opening on Thursdays, on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. that people like and hate it. What's interesting, Nordstrom, Nordstrom was one of the few that cho- chose to stay closed on Thanksgiving. But this is what I love. Not only do they stay closed, they actively advertise that they'd be closed. Uh, why would you advertise you're going to be closed? They, they said on their, they put a sign on their door that said, we're choosing to be closed on Thanksgiving Day so that our employees can spend the day with their family. So what they understood was that their decision that may have hurt them financially, they believe that it was going to be positive for their business. If you go to every Chick-fil-A yep. in the world, the sign says closed on Sunday. On the big, the drive-through sign. Yep. They have put it. They're reminding you. Yep. They want to remind you what they've chosen. And even people that may not resonate with your decision, they appreciate that you're willing to take a stand for something. So millennials choose companies to do business with the way previous generations chose charities. I think both of those are positive things. Mm-hmm. I do think the downside for this generation is there is a real um, 
there is there we're so in tune with how our our fellow people feel we've really embraced empathy well mm. but a lot of times feelings are getting in the way of facts and uh, our level of compassion oftentimes uh, you think it's going to be a positive thing, but it ends up doing more harm than good. You know, it's so funny. I, I just listened to a podcast this morning. They were talking about the most recent study say, you know, you got all these generations. You would think the loneliest people in the world are in their 70s. And the reality is the loneliest people in the world are the most connected people yeah. in their 20s. Yeah. And it's funny. And I, I think there's so much still to figure out of what that yeah. means in leadership. So when you say they want to grow, so a uh, a, a millennial signs on with a company, they want to be able to say, I can be here for a time and don't have to keep doing what I'm doing today. There's 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 an area for me to grow. Does that mean that? Well, that's what a lot of people would say. They would think, you know, well, that's what they want. Somebody would say, oh, yeah. they, here's what they want. They want entitlement. They want, yeah, to, yeah, they want to be yeah. a manager right when they get out of college. Now, here's what the UNC Keenan Flagler School of Business did a study, and they found that the number one qualification for millennials when they're choosing what company to work for, number one, this is above flexible time and this is above pay. Number one thing is opportunity for personal development. How about that? Here's what they want. They want somebody who's going to sit across from them and say, I care about you and I'm going to invest in your life. That That's what they, that's and, crazy. And, and you know what? By the way, that's what people want with churches too. Yeah, it is. They want somebody right. who's going to invest in their life. And this is the problem, though, that so many leaders have. This is where we see organizations struggle. As soon as a leader grows and they move up in their influence, one of the first things that they outsource is hiring. They say, it's exhausting. I hate interviews. And so they say, I'm going to just have so-and-so. He's not really busy. I'm going to have him do the hiring. Okay. If I am a millennial and the number one thing I care about is somebody who's going to develop me. Yep. And that person in that company has outsourced hiring to a moron. Does anybody want to be developed by a moron? And that sounds harsh, but yep. if you're a leader in an organization, not either you need to be doing the hiring or you need to put your sharpest leader there. Yep. Yep. Because the person doing the interviewing doesn't just need to be good at discerning. They need to be good at communicating that people like me are going to pour into people like you. Oh, that's and that's good. how you attract. Ah, oh, That's so good. That's so good. Here, here you are, Kevin. You're, you're, you're a guru in leadership. I mean, you're, you're recognized forty under forty in Atlanta. You're on Fox or CNN or, or CNBC or one of these doing a lot of political work. And you are super known in the leadership category. But I also know your faith means a ton to you. What's your balance between leadership and spiritual leadership? Is there a is there a line there? Can you separate your faith from how Kevin leads? What would you say? Well, Mike, you introduced me to the book Spiritual Leadership by the Blackabees, and it has been so transformational because I, if leadership is moving people onto an agenda, they would say leadership is moving people onto God's agenda. That's right. So it's, it's just one word difference. Yep. But it's the, the word that changes everything. And if we, for me... I don't think, I think it's impossible to separate the two because if, if we're not uh, leading people to something that's going to stand the test of time, I think we're, we're wasting so much effort and energy. Mm -hmm. And that for me has been, you know, I, when you sit here and say, you're a guru and you all this, I, that makes me feel really insecure because most of the stuff we're talking about is regurgitated. Yeah. But by the way, and for the person that's sitting there listening, saying, oh, what a Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. That's right. It's not. I, mean, I love Andy Stanley. I love John Maxwell. They're taking it from somebody else. They may be oh, communicating yeah. it in a sharper, more relevant way, but the principles have not changed. Mm -hmm. What we've got to do is figure out how to communicate them in a relevant way, which also means that God's word hasn't that's changed. Right. That's right. Even though the culture has. The truths haven't changed, and it just becomes more incumbent upon us to get more creative and more relevant uh, because we we don't get the opportunity to change the message. We just have to change the way we communicate it. Now, and I love it. I think there's a hunger. I think there's a hunger among people to go, okay, that makes me a great leader, but yet still there's a gap. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I may know all there is a, to know about this area of my leadership. Like you said, there's nothing new under the sun. In fact, I heard a guy say today, the greatest leaders of the next generation aren't the people coming up with the information. They're the people that synthesize the information to get it to everybody else. So true. They break it. So true. Uh-huh. And that's why what you do and what Brian Dodd does, yeah. Brian's weekly, his, his uh, blog, he just brings, he just goes and categorizes the stuff, puts it down. So here's 10 things I learned last week. And people love it yeah. because they're synthesizing that information. But people, there's a hunger for something more. And I love even in the leper's lessons, which is, we won't get into that day. One of your books, everybody should pick up. We'll put it in the show notes. It was so good because it took a scriptural story with relevant truth. Right. And you can't you can't separate those things out. Your most recent book has a huge there's a spiritual overtone definitely to lens of leadership. What what led you to write the lens of leadership? Yeah. Um, the lens of leadership for me came because I have become obsessed with this idea of perspective mm. that, um, you know, I heard it said the way we view things changes how we do things. So if we see things different, we'll do things differently. But that's the first piece. The second thing that somebody said that I I quoted in the book that I love is said, perspective is the only thing in the world that can radically transform the results you get without altering a single element of your environment. So again, perspective is the only thing in the world that can radically transform the results you get without altering the single element of your environment. So you go, you're listening to this podcast, you show up, your boss hasn't changed, your employees haven't changed, your team, your players yep. haven't changed, you wish they have changed, but they haven't. Yep. Your pay hasn't changed, your product, your stuff, none of that changes. But if you change your perspective, this is not hokey, abstract, this is, if you change your perspective, it'll change your life. So Absolutely. a change in perspective leads to a change in actions, which equals a change in results. And really, we wanted to take nine of these just leadership, just things that matter, purpose and priority and people, and just say, how can we see them a little bit differently? And sometimes that's zooming out and getting a broader picture. Sometimes it's zooming in and seeing it more closely. Sometimes it's just saying, have you ever seen it in this way before? Mm -hmm. Because we will sit in in organizations with two people with good hearts, but they're just seeing things different ways. You train DISC a lot, Mike. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, two people have a lot of conflict. <laughs> it's not because one of them says it. It's because they just see the world differently. Different view, man. And so what we're trying to do is just change the way that people see certain aspects of leadership. You, you made a comment in your in your chapter on purpose. And you said, you say leaders are in positions to do enormous good or inflict enormous harm and anything in between. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think every leader really thinks about themselves that way. Why is that true? Yeah, it is. You remember back to the story we talked about at the beginning of the homecoming float. That that was leadership. It wasn't positive right. leadership. I still say it's pretty creative, but it was it was it was it was leadership. I find that more and more people are creating purpose driven organizations. It's not just churches now. It's you know they've read Rick Warren's yeah. book or they've they, they've anchored on this idea. We've got our vision statement on our wall. Well, here's the thing. A purpose-driven organization creates a right opportunity Mm. for a clever leader to be extremely manipulative. Because what happens is, if you're a good communicator, you can tie just about any activity, initiative, program somehow back to that purpose that we Mm. said. And you can make it make sense, and you can do it. And so leaders have that that unique position of influence and power in the organization, especially now that you have a purpose. Cause oh, then, yeah. cause it's really easy now. Cause guess what? When, when we're really at our, at our most compelling, Mike, we can say, it's not about me. It's about, this is what That's our right. mission says. That's right. And so we can tie it. And I'm, I've watched even in, uh, I've watched coaches who've used the mission to drive team members into the ground and push them past a point that they should I've watched leaders use a, a clear mission to overwork people and have them become disconnected from their families. It, it, it is really easy to become manipulative. Nice. You know, I've heard people talk about the great leader Hitler was and how he For inspired sure. the masses. And it was just in a terrible, 
a terrible way. And I don't think anybody ever gets into it for that. I mean, some may, but I think over the course of time, if we don't keep our perspective right, we can definitely use what started good for selfish personal reasons. For sure. And that's where the spiritual leadership comes in. That's right. Because again, it's easy for me to sit and say, yeah, but I'd never do that. Yeah. But without something to hold us in check, it becomes real easy yep. to move uh, towards manipulation. And I, uh, the more charismatic a leader, the more uh, clever, the more uh, talented as a communicator, I think the great, the more dangerous it becomes. It's incredible power, but it's it can be super dangerous. You know, in your man, I can tell you grew up in church because a lot of your chapters start with P. But in your in your chapter, I was very I did notice that I was very proud of you. In your chapter on process, you talk about calling or consensus, and you told a great story uh, of true. Truett Kathy from yes. Chick Fil A. Tell everybody a little bit about that story. It's oh like, this, my is, gosh. this is so good. This is this is a great example of spiritual leadership. Truett Kathy, for anybody who got to hear him speak or know him. Incredibly humble. Yeah. Not a not some loud, demonstrative leader. But it, it's just the story that he actually tells in one of his books. Um, I think it was Eat More Chicken, Inspire More People. Um, great book title. Um, he goes up to the campus of Berry College. They're in incredible debt. They've got this mountain campus that's basically draining money. And uh, the short version of the story is he stands up there and uh, he and his wife, Jeanette, I think Jeanette said, I feel like we're standing on holy ground. And he said, we ought to, we ought to buy this. We ought to do something with Windshape. Was it called Windshape? Yeah, we ought right. to do some of this campus. We want to shape winners. And he comes back and he present, presents to his executive committee. And he actually, they weren't quite getting it. So he takes them with him and he stands there and he's like, you know, it's just going to cast the vision. And they're going to get it. And they got it all right. They all agreed that it was a terrible idea to invest in it. There was a reason why it was bleeding money. And I love it because at the end, he was true. It was respectful. He listened to their decision. And if you hear his executive committee, most of the time he agreed with them. But on this one, he just basically said, I think you guys are wrong. I, I believe God's called us to do this, and we're going to do it anyway. And I think... There's a disturbing trend today in leadership, Mike, um, towards consensus-driven decision-making. And and that sounds really good. Consensus-driven decision-making. Yeah, I want to be a part of that. Consensus-driven decision-making is the lowest common denominator of decision-making hmm. because we're going to get all of our ideas and water them down enough to where we can all agree. If we can get it to where every single one of us agree, we're probably not doing something remarkable, yep. transformational, bold, and what Truett understood was we've got to, we're going to try to have consensus, but when God lays something on our heart, there's going to be times you have to use it sparingly, but I'm going to say, this is what God's called me to do. This is what I believe is right. And he did it and they've impacted oh. hundreds of thousands of lives. You think of all the college kids that have gone and lived at Winshape, Chick-fil-A kids that have lived at Winshape. And then you think of the summer camp Foster program. Foster kids, marriages. That's right. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, all it's from incredible. that because one guy decided to make a decision that went against yep. popular opinion. I mean, yep. you know, so many times now. When's the last time you know a principal had the boldness to make the decision that's going against the what most of the teachers want, or yeah. you know, the pastor who's it's not Ooh, easy. But yeah, it sounds easy. It sounds till it's easy. you, and then it's like holy smokes, but. You know, I, I had on uh, Ken Coleman when he was on, we talked about Dr. Falwell, and and he was that picture of guy that everybody thought was crazy, uh-huh. building a world-class Christian university in central Virginia. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. there. There's just <laughs> woods and mountains. And now I left there last week, and you leave, and you're, it's the Christian Disneyland. I mean, it's yeah. it's the most amazing thing in the world. But it, it was because there was a guy who had a calling, yeah. and he followed that calling. Let me ask you a question, Kevin. What's Kevin's calling? Why do you think God put you on this earth? Why do you think he created Kevin Scott? Yeah, I um, I believe our organization is uniquely positioned to inspire a generation. You know, we've got, the time you and I are recording this, we've got 15, 16 full-time people. That's a small little team. 
this year we'll have over 150,000 Addo-inspired leaders going through our program. Our goal is 500,000 uh, by the end of 2020. So it's we want more people on the front line, but I believe God has uniquely positioned us in a position to inspire at scale those those types of generations and movements if they can be equipped with the right uh, programming, the right inspiration, they've got everything they need to make a difference. If we can come alongside them and help them do it, I think we can help shape a generation. I hope you enjoyed that time with Kevin. I don't know where you listen to it, but I have a feeling that was one of those episodes you're going to have to listen to again and say, all right, I need to get out a pen and I need to write some stuff down. The guy is incredible. But even more than being an incredible leader and a strategic thinker and a pioneer, especially for his generation, you know, Kevin is is one of those go-to guys for me in leadership. I've got three or four that I go to, but he is in the group that's younger than me. But man, he gets it. And I always leave growing and being pushed and stretched But what I love about Kevin is the humility he does it with. Kevin has been given some incredible gifts, but he uses those gifts truly to be a blessing to others. And I have watched Kevin in so many different environments really execute that humility, and it just oozes out of his walk with the Lord. It's real, and it's it's spot on. I hope you'll go to one of the links to order one of his books, Uh, His latest, The Lens of Leadership, is phenomenal, and I know that you will enjoy it, and you'll be a better leader for having read Kevin, and the guy is just one of the, the finest people on the planet. Thanks, Kevin, for being a part. Well, episode 54, we get to get ready for college football season by sitting down with one of uh, the greatest contributors out there in the sporting world, Miss Rachel Barbeau. You see Rachel so many times on ESPN and many other networks during football season. The day we talked was the morning after the national championship game where she was on the sidelines last season for college football's national championship. You are going to love Rachel and her heart for others, her heart for sports, but even more her heart for the Lord. Her story is so inspiring. Well, if you've enjoyed today, I hope you'll share it with a friend. You can go on iTunes and share the episode on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify. Share it with your friends. I I just shared a good podcast the other day with some good friends, uh, another podcast that I learn and grow from. What a great way to sharpen your skills. I'm thankful I don't have to provide all your leadership content. I just get to ask the questions that provides the content. So, man, thanks for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this, press pause, go leave a review. It helps other people find their way to us. And once again, thanks for joining us on Lynch with a Leader. And until we meet again, go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.